On fossil downs and cane grass station in a million homes across the nation, they're tuning in Australia. My name's Lorette. I'm the cook at Victoria River Downs. Oh, good day, Lorette. I cook for around about 20 people. Start with their breakfast in the morning and then right through to dinner. All their biscuits and cakes and what have you. But, um, it's a, you know, it's a big job, but it's a good job. Really good people. We're sort of locked down here. And then, of course, we've got Hallie Muster as well. They've got another 20 staff. So we're sort of in a little bit of a bubble here. But we can't have any tradespeople or anyone else coming anywhere near my kitchen. So it has affected us. Yeah. And also the stock camp won't be able to go or anyone won't be able to go into any rodeos or camp drafts this year. And that was a big social outlet. It's a great life. You have to like your own company. They're a very grateful and kind crew here. And, you know, it's a nice place to be. I would love it if you could come up here, maybe when everything changes. We love it here, Macca. Good on you, Lorette. Great to talk to you. And I love listening to you every Sunday. It sort of brings a bit of connection back. I'll go back and do my dishes now. Where's <laughs> okay. I think that's what he said. Professors, engineers, geologists, facetists, surveyors and speleologists are ringing from the rock on a Sunday morning. Yeah, macker in the morning turns my week around. He picks me up when I feel down. Wait all week for Macca on a Sunday morning. Ooh, it's cold this morning for Nancy's chooks. They're walking dogs, they're writing books as Trevor stacks his bottles by the roadside. Doesn't matter who you are, on Sunday morning, you're the star. You're all in Macca's green room on a Sunday morning. I start my week with Macca on Sunday morning. That was the lovely Lorette on VRD. She's the cook there. One day we'll be able to go to places like VRD. Good morning to Mafra and Mildura and Mearsham Vale. You know where Mearsham Vale is? It's a pretty little district running down from Alstonville Plateau, northern New South Wales, to the Tuckian Swamp and the Broadwater estuarine arm of the mighty Richmond River. How are you this morning? Lovely to talk to you. 1300 or 028-333-1020. That'll get you. I was going through my back pages and I came across a boomerang songster. Do you remember boomerang songsters? They had all the words for songs, not the music, just the words. And I came across this. I never heard this song, but it was it's older. It's called 67 Single Sets of Shop Soiled Sheets. I'll try and get through it. That's the name of the song. 67 Single Sets of Shop Soiled Sheets. I have a billet 67 sailors, 67 sailors just in port. How can I billet 67 sailors? I'm short of sheets and all my sheets are short. Imagine singing this. (laughs) For seeing I was short of sheets, I had to pop. So I said to the salesman at the cheap sheet shop, imagine, I said to the salesman at the sheep, (laughs) forget it, 67 single sets of shop soiled sheets, 67 sets I've got to buy, 67 single sets of shop soiled sheets for 67 sailors from Shanghai. I don't want a zoot suit or a soft silk shirt, don't want to drink or eat. Those sailors can't sleep in the deep and I've got to sleep them cheap in 67 single sets of shop soiled sheets. (laughs) There you go. This is from Stephen, Stephen McPherson. He says, My wife and I recently returned from two years sailing around Southeast Asia on our 41-foot sailboat Donetes. Donetes. We made great friends, many of whom are now stuck in far-flung countries waiting for borders to open. Even those in beautiful locations such as the Maldives are restricted to their boats. Some are stuck in not-so-friendly locations on the Red Sea. It would be good to send out a friendly cheerio to all those intrepid Australian adventurers and the many non-Australians of like spirit we met along the way. 
and their families and friends concerned about their welfare. Some of these people have tackled unseasonal weather, including headwinds, to get back to Australia for family reasons. Is that you too, Stephen? All the best, Macca. Love your show, says Steve from Western Australia. Hi, Luca, in Western Australia. And Barbara says, Greetings. I'm just writing to say how different this year is. We usually spend winters in Port Douglas with our many fellow caravanners. This year we can't come. Hope that the Australian bubble will soon extend from Port Douglas to New Zealand. Greetings to everyone who knows us, Brian and Barbara, in many parts of Australia. I think a lot of people are thinking about this, and this made me think of it. A letter from a bloke called John Smith, a likely story. (laughs) Many years ago, it makes you long for things that you used to be able to do. When will it change? When will it change? Recently, my wife and I decided on a trip to the tip of Cape York. We sent for maps and road conditions to the Central Mapping Authority, In due course, they came back with all the info. The roads were very rough, sandy and corrugated, if you've been to the tip. From Cohen on, it was four-wheel drives only, and the caravans were out. Rough and steep, washed-out creek crossings, bad river crossings, bulldust, sand beds and bone-shattering corrugations would be encountered, it said. Sounded like a challenge. So it was off in our 1912 Model T Ford pulling a camper trailer. This is not true, is it? You won't make it. They all said, it's four-wheel drive only up there. You won't get through the windlock. The creeks will stop you. The corrugates will shake your car to bits. We heard this all the way up. Well, for the knockers, we made it without as much as a flat tyre and to the amazement of the four-wheel drivers from the cities, who I might add to be fair city drivers, but in the bush couldn't drive thirsty ducks to water. (laughs) It was a wonderful trip. We met so many interesting people. We were told up there that our car was the oldest to ever make it to the tip. I wonder if that's true. Johnny, I don't know. That letter came in 30 years ago. They took a 1912 T-model Ford. Couldn't drive ducks to water. Thirsty ducks, mind you. Thirsty ducks. G'day, this is Macca. Yeah, g'day, Macca. It's Norm. How you going? Good, thanks, Norm. What What are you yeah, doing? I'm um, just escorting a... Um an oversized load from Sydney to Melbourne. Just left Sydney. Uh-huh. What sort of an oversized load have you got, Norm? So it's well, so the load we've got on is an old um, Wabco scraper. It weighs about 50 tonnes. It's three and a half metres wide. Uh-huh. Um, built, built in the 60s. And we're putting a museum together in Melbourne of old these old Wabco scrapers. Uh-huh. And uh, this is the third one we've picked up. There's a company in Sydney, Lowe's Earth Moving, had a had three of them, and um, this is the third one we've picked up. So, how old is it, uh, Norm? How old? When did we first? Uh, when did we first start using using scrapers? Oh, uh, it's back. Oh, they've been around since the fifties. But these ones come to Australia from America, uh, probably back in the early early sixties. Uh huh. Um, so yeah, so we're collecting a few of them before they all get scrapped. A lot of them are getting all cut up and stuff. So we're trying to pick the best of them and put them all together and. So, and this is going to be in Melbourne, is it? A, a, a museum yeah. of, of what? Earth moving equipment? Yeah, yeah. A lot of people have Caterpillar ones, and this is just a different different brand. So, it's in the Gamby, which is about an hour north of, um, of Melbourne. So, we, we should get there about, if everything goes right, we should get there about 3.30 today. Really? So, yeah. So, my, my son, James, he's driving the, um, he's driving the float. So, and uh, I'm in the escort vehicle, so. So you've got wide load on your on your car, have you, on your ute? Yeah, I'm in the oversize, and, and it's, <clears throat> it's the circle of life. I start, you start driving the escort vehicle, and then you move up to the truck, and 
now I'm back in the escort vehicle. <laughs> Normie, there you go. So where do you live, Norm? You live in Melbourne or you live in Sydney? Yeah, yeah, uh, Melbourne. We're from Melbourne, yeah. We've got an earth living business in Melbourne. And um, I just got this bit of a, an addiction at the moment of collecting these old machines, so... Well, there's lots of earth movers. There's lots of earth movers listening here on Sunday morning. They're always out, um, you know, laying a slab or making room for a slab or something like that. Um, and it's yeah, they're all over the place, aren't they? Earth movers. You can't move now without uh, doing any work. Now, used to one time blokes with shovels used to do that. Now it's all all graders and scrapers, isn't it? Yeah. Well, the difference between the machine we've got in front of us here now compared to the ones we use every day is. Yeah, the technology is amazing, the difference in them. So. Yeah, are they easy to drive now? Oh, yeah. Yeah, GPS controlled and air conditioned and everything. Yeah, they're just like driving your car. Uh, so what time compared did you... This one with, Sorry, go on. Yeah, compared to the one we've got now, it's got a, a 12-cylinder GM in it, which is really loud and hot, and no air conditioning, so it's a, a fair bit of difference. So. So what time did you leave uh, Sydney this morning? And uh, yeah, yeah, so we we left Badgeries Creek at five thirty. Uh huh. And we're we're just getting out. Of, we're just out off the M seven now. We're just just motoring along here on the freeway, and she's just got daylight, so it's good. So yeah, it'll be about nine hours to to Melbourne or to Nagambi. Yeah, well, if, yeah. If we don't get any flat tyres or any drama, we have a couple of stops on the way. But the last one we did, we got back there yeah, at three thirty. Well. Afternoon, so. Well, when things get uh, better, Norm, I'll have a, I'll come down in the Gambia and have a look at your museum. Um, how how far advanced is it at the moment? Yeah, we're just well. We've got a few. We've got about twelve of them parked up there at the moment, and we're building a new new sheds going up this year. So yeah, so by Christmas we should have it all up and going, and we're going to have a an open day once or twice a year where we get a few of them going, and all the people that used to you know that are interested in them can come and have a look at them. Yeah, blokes will be there with their sons saying, I used to drive one of them. Um. Exactly, yeah, that's that's what happens. Um, you know, and, and the people that own them are all in their sort of 70s and 80s and 90s. So it's a good time to, to um, for them to come and have a look at a few of them running around. So. Yeah, amazing stuff. All right, Norm, good on you, mate. Nice to talk to you this morning and, and safe travels. Right, Thanks, Maga. Have a good day. Good on you, mate. Bye. Bye. Is that Maka there, Andy, Andy here in Malmesbury, Central Victoria? Hi, Andy. How you going? Good, thanks. Uh, yeah, look, I did ring a couple of years ago in relation to harp making, which I do, but I'm ringing about pianos. Uh-huh. A very good friend of mine in Hobart, his name's Martin Tucker. He's a piano tuner, and he gets around Australia tuning all sorts of difficult pianos, including Darwin, on a regular basis. And he says the pianos up there take a terrible beating because of the climate. Oh, yeah. And uh, he sometimes has to rescue some very mouldy old things back to life. Um, but his partner is a filmmaker, and she's doing a film about pianos in Australia, the, a bit of the history of the making of them and so on, uh, which is going to be a fabulous thing, because as you're hearing from your listeners and you know yourself, they were a huge part of society back in the day. Mm. I remember we found an ad in a when a cafe was redoing its floor and they found newspapers underneath and the 1960 ad had a picture of the HMV um, TV on it with the dog and everything and the, and the, and the uh, slogan at the top was trade in that old piano. <laughs> <laughs> so you won't be needing that, we're going to entertain you. 
Um, anyway, just uh, the only other particular thing of interest is um, that an old uncle of mine who recently passed away had found some footage from a 1939 film um, done at someone's 80th birthday party in my family. And there they were, the relatives, banging away on the old family piano, which was the piano I learned on as a kid, uh, getting lessons, and it's still a piano I've got in my house. And it was just fabulous to see those old relatives playing the thing because in my time in the 60s and 70s growing up, no one had played it, and I thought it was just a piece of furniture, and it was a fabulous memory to see them all playing the thing and having such a great time back in the 30s. So, Andy, you're a, you're a piano tuner? No, I'm not. My friend Martin is, but I'm, I'm a harp maker. I did talk to you once before about harp making. Uh-huh. But Martin comes to Central Victoria on a regular basis to tune people's pianos here, including our old Beale, which was made in Sydney back in the day. There used to be a piano making industry in Australia. There was even a piano maker in Kyneton, just near where I live. Yeah, and usually um, people don't want piano. A lot of people don't want pianos now. It's, uh, it's as I, <clears throat> I think I said, it's a bit like tennis courts. There were tennis courts everywhere in Australia in back in the day, as people say. Um, now you won't find them very, very, very hard to find. I mean, they're central, but houses used to have tennis courts, and now they're mostly gone. And pianos are a bit the same way. People don't learn the piano now. I don't, I don't know why. It's a lovely, right. lovely thing to be able to play the it piano. Is, yeah. The, uh, the other situation Martin described with great laughter is, um, apart from rescuing mouldy old ones in the tropics, is so he's what he often gets what he calls a TV tuning, which is where he goes to a house, they want the piano tuned, but there's you know three or four kids running around and the TV's on and mm. <laughs> someone's clattering in the kitchen and he's expected to tune a piano in that, that situation. So you know the outcome's not going to be... Uh, Tip top, but you do your best, and he calls it the TV tunings. <laughs> <laughs> how's the harp? Uh, how's the harp making business, Andy? Oh, good. You know, people haven't stopped wanting their musical instruments during COVID. Um, uh, in fact, I've been busier than ever. Um, I don't know how I had the time to drive around the country and go to gigs because um, I'm kept busy in the shed and doing Zoom lessons with students on right. various instruments. And has that been good? I bet that's been great. Yeah, I mean, I've saved a lot of money on petrol, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but more than that, Andy, I didn't just mean that. I meant more than that, just to tune into people all over the place and, and play your harp. Yeah, yeah. And, like, we had a Zoom gathering of the local harp group and a woman dialed in from Tasmania and one from Queensland, which wouldn't have been possible in no. face-to-face. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Well, keep up the good work, mate. Uh, what sort of wood do you use for your harps, Andy? Oh, mostly Australian woods. The standard big harp has um, blackwood and king billy pine on the soundboard, and the small harps I use um, a lot of hoop pine plywood, which is plantation timber from Queensland. Uh, I'll come to your place. Where where are you, Malmesbury? Malmesbury, between Kyneton and Castlemaine. All right. Good on you, Andy. Nice to talk to you. That film is, when's, when's that going to be out, do you reckon? What's that? She's making, did you, you? Oh, yeah, the film. Look, I'll, um, I'll get Martin's people to drop you a line. Um, it was about half finished. He's got some fabulous footage and a few clips have gone up on Facebook. Um, but uh, I guess those things take a while to uh, put together properly in a watchable fashion. Yeah. All right. Good on you. Nice to talk to you, Andy. Okay, thanks. Bye. Thanks. Bye. 
It's Hetty here. Um, I've spoken to you a few times. Hetty Party, the, the uh, lady with Parkinson's who goes out to uh, gold detecting in WA. Oh, hi, Hetty. How are you, doll? Oh, I'm getting along. Uh, well, uh, it's been a lovely morning. I like the last person just spoke. Perhaps the, uh, the cast from the castle could do it while I'm cracking out. <laughs> They'd be a good group of people to star w- in it. Wouldn't it be a great movie? I mean... Yeah, especially uh, the, the cast from the... Uh, the uh, the castle, I think. Uh, but what I rang about was uh, you're talking about dogs this morning. Seeing I'm, I'm not interested in travelling and I'm housebound basically, like we all are, um, the importance of dogs uh, with exercise because we can't go to the gym. Uh, we can watch some of the things on television, but you've got, uh, on, on our computer uh, for exercise, but uh, you've got to be very self motivated. But you have to take the dog out, and uh, it forces you to exercise regularly, which is really, really good. And I'm on the northern beaches, and we've got fantastic you know, dog dog areas here. We need a few more, especially ones near beaches. But anyway, that's another story. But uh, so, um, the so number you, of people out with their dogs. You're out. You're out walking your dog this morning, Hetty. I haven't yet because uh, I've been listening to you. All right. Yeah. Um, when, when that finishes, we'll take her out. We take her out every day. She's our our ninth dog, and probably our last. And I've had. Um, um, you know, pictures and I've, I've had show dogs and uh, I've done obedience training and so on. And we've got an RSPC uh, rescue dog the, now, and she's just beautiful. Every time we take her out, everyone stops and comments about it. We were just very fortunate to get a fantastic dog, but they're all fantastic dogs, and I really recommend people to yeah, uh, especially, that out. especially in these times, Hetty. Hetty's got exactly. Parkinson's, ladies and gentlemen, and she's dealing with that. But dogs are just they're they're just they're they're great. Right for the psyche. I'll t- I've got some more little stories about dogs this morning, but I'll tell you, somebody said that people, because of this lockdown, dogs are in demand. You, you know, a uh, bloke was saying that he, he was, uh, dog shops were at uh, dog breeders and they want all the dogs they can get because people are going mad and buying dogs. Yes, as long as they look after them when we go back to normality, that's the important part. It's like a bit like Christmas too. Um, they're lovely when they're little puppies, but you've really got to think of the long term. You've got a 14-year commitment at least. Exactly. Good on you, Hetty. Great, right. great to talk to you. We yeah, love the show, and uh, you're really the steadfast thing while we're going through all this uh, uh, isolation because you don't keep us isolated. You keep us all around Australia, and that's fantastic. Good on you, Hedy. I hope we catch up again soon. Yeah, okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Lisa's in Nashville. Morning, Lisa. Hey, good morning, Macca. How are you? <laughs> good, thank you. What's happening? <laughs> What's happening in uh, Nashville? Uh, uh, it's a beautiful, sunny afternoon. It's about 5.30 in the afternoon. It's 40, 84 degrees Fahrenheit. And um, my mum and dad listen to you every morning in the Hunter Valley. So I thought I'd see if I could say good morning to them from all the way from Nashville. All the way from Nashville. And what are you doing in Nashville, Lisa? Uh, well, I married an American, which, you know, they're not as good at travelling overseas and living other places as we Aussies are. So no. um, followed him from followed him from uh, South Korea and we live in Nash- just outside Nashville in a little old Civil War town. Hello. Are you still there? Yeah, gone? yeah. Can you oh, hear me? Oh, yeah. Sorry, you, you seem to drop out. Yeah. Anyway, you lived in a, <laughs> a little old um, house in Nashville somewhere. Did, is that what you said when you first got there? Or yeah, well, we live in a, yeah. It's a Civil War town just outside Nashville, for Franklin. So uh-huh. we're about thirty minutes outside Nashville. Yeah. And how long you been there? 
Uh, Nashville for nearly eight years, but overseas for about 26. So miss home a lot all the time. Quite a lot of Aussies in Nashville, isn't it? When I say quite a lot, there must be a little uh, gathering of them. Yeah, there is. There's some famous ones. Um, I don't tend to hang out with them so much, but there's, <laughs> there's quite a few of us over here, that's for sure. Yeah. And and uh, you like living in Nashville? Or? Yeah, I do. Um, if you told me growing up in Musselbrook that I'd live in Nashville or even in the United States when I was a kid, I probably would have laughed at you. But, um, you know, it's great. It's an amazing country if you get out and explore it. But, yeah, um, I'll say. You know, you miss, you miss home all the time. You miss the sounds of the birds and the people. And But, it's yeah, it's a great place to live. And uh, how's the COVID thing in Nashville? Uh, <laughs> um, gee, that's a really deep conversation. But, look, there's a lot of people getting out and about now. Um, we've lifted a lot of restrictions. There's, you know, those that wear masks and are, and are aware of their fellow Nashvilleans and care for them. And there are those that, you know, don't think they have to follow the rules and, so it's you know we're kind of hunkered down a little bit longer. We're not going to get out too much yet until we see what happens over the next couple of weeks because things have just opened up this weekend. But you know, on the whole, people are very polite, very nice. They're trying to do the right thing by each other, and um, you know, we'll see how we go in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, you've got to you've got to look after yourself. I think, haven't you, Lisa? If you if you think you're going to be at risk, you just keep your distance. That's the best thing to do. And I know a lot of people do that. That's you can't worry about what other people are doing um, if they're breaking the rules. Um, you just got to try and look after yourself, haven't you? Yeah, you just got to be gracious and care for the folks around you. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, we'll all get through this. Um, but, um, yeah, but my mum and dad, Maka, my mum talks about you all the time, um, ad nauseum sometimes. And she's probably laying in bed right now listening to me say that. And she'll never forgive me. No, she's, cr- <laughs> she's cringing now. <laughs> she's talking, she's saying, Frank, what's your, what's your father's name? She's saying, Frank, did you hear what she just said? <laughs> what's his name? No, it's Jim and Beryl. Jim. There you go. <laughs> she's, saying, she's saying, Jim, Jim, did you hear what she just said? Oh, dear. Oh, dear. I have to go downtown later. Oh, dear. All right, Lisa. Oh, no, don't worry. I'll get a phone call straight after this. <laughs> so any music happen in, uh, in Nashville now, like uh, as COVID sort of lessened, if you like? Uh, they've just started saying down on ma- the main street in Nashville that bands can play, but there can't be any dancing. So you can go and listen at a reasonable distance between each other, but you can't dance. So I'm not quite sure how that's going to work. But, um, yeah, so the musicians at least are going to start to make a bit of money. It's, re- it's really sad when you've got so many amazing musicians over here that are trying to make their way in Nashville and, you know, it all got put on hold. Because yeah. there's, there's a heap of Aussies that come over here to play. Yes. And they are just amazing. Lisa, it's nice to talk to you. Um, and uh, I'll say good day to the... Uh Lower, it's the middle Hunter Valley, isn't it? Um, around Musselbrook, is that where yeah. they live? Yep, Musselbrook. Yeah, nice, yep. <laughs> n- nice spot. Um, all right, Lise, nice to talk to you. Good on you. You too, Maka. Have a great day. See ya. Bye. Bye. G'day, this is Maka. It's Beryl from Musselbrook, Lisa's mother. Oh, you Le- you from Nashville? Lisa from Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, Beryl? I was just, I was just uh, really a bit disappointed in her. She's had such a wonderful life and she never told you anything about her story at all. So I thought maybe mum will have to. Yeah. And I just enjoyed that last lady you had on. She was just beautiful. Isn't she lovely? Isn't she lovely? Oh, just gorgeous. Anyway, I, I, it 
quickly, I'll just breeze through Lisa's life. She yeah. was born in Musselbrook, this skinny little redhead. And um, we were just two country kids who knew absolutely nothing. And it was quite a big thing to have this baby. But anyway, she grew up and at six years old, she had to have major heart surgery, which was terrifying because we knew nothing. We had to go to Sydney. And anyway, she got over that and she went to Musselbrook High School and she went to TAFE for six months. She was bored here, so she got a bus to Sydney and she got a job at Walter J. Thompson, the advertising yeah. agency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She went from there to uh, Korea to live and work for Merit, a British advertising agency. And while she was there, she went to a ball and she met this most wonderful man from America and he was a major in the Marines. And it, within three months, they were married. <laughs> And the most beautiful wedding with all the swords and everything. We didn't even go because we didn't have the money. We had another daughter at university. And then she went from there back to the States and has lived in so many different places in the States. We lived with them on Quantico for six weeks at one stage. Mm -hmm. But she's um, she's worked uh, she's worked for Del Coronado in the States. But everywhere she's lived, we've travelled. But now she's retired. Her husband's retired from the military and he works for... General Motors Holdens. Uh, her, his grandfather was a manager there way back in the day, and she actually has a wonderful job. National Geographic oh, and um, yeah. and a great and a great shipping line and um, she, Limbad Expeditions. Uh-huh. And she's rang us from the middle of a river in um, you know and and listening to frogs and and <laughs> poison, plants around. And but we when we went, she lived on Okinawa, and we went and lived there for six weeks. Well, I had the joy of going to a love motel there. Um, honestly, the experiences this girl has given us, she's cut herself short. We could never have imagined. It's opened our minds to the world around us, must, different cultures, food, must, you know, beautiful people. And, must and be something, us- yeah, it must be something about redheads, uh, Beryl. <laughs> well, I was a redhead, but I didn't do any of those amazing things. But uh, just... She's just an amazing girl, and she doesn't ever blow her own trumpet. She just gets on. She's travelled practically every state in America selling these wonderful products that she has, and she's very sad at the moment because they've had to let 160 people go from the company, Uh and this week she's rang and she was quite distressed. But just the fact that she's taken us on these beautiful adventures that we could never have contemplated in our entire lives. And um, yeah, she just is a beautiful girl. And, yeah, she was. Well, she sounded she sounded full of beans. Uh, but but yeah, I tried to elicit information out of her, and she was. I yeah. think because I think because Alex been in the Marines, and that they're very careful about what they say about yeah. a lot of things. Still, yeah, it, you you could not always talk about a lot of things yeah. because you didn't know who might be listening. Um, so well, um, everybody's listening. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody's listening to everybody now, aren't they? Yes, exactly. Yeah, especially the <laughs> yeah, but, Chinese. <laughs> but you know, we had private tours of the White House and and just met absolutely beautiful people everywhere. And the world is a lovely place. And you, if you just like the people, and they like you as well. Yeah, you know, exactly. It's, it's just a gorgeous world we live in and it's just a shame at the moment we're all sort of locked in but my passions are embroidery and gardening and I mean I'm nearly the age of that lady you were just talking to but you just have to make 
your own fun and, and yes. you know, enjoy what you have around you. Exactly. Great lesson. Great lesson for life. I just had to tell you that she's just not this girl <laughs> from Nashville. She's <laughs> oh. She has be- two beautiful children and she's just a beautiful daughter. Beryl, it's just oh, a beautiful place. Let's come. We'll come to Musselbrook again. We'll, yeah, we'll, please do. All right. Please do. And thanks for ringing and tell us, telling us the story that Lisa didn't tell us. Oh, she wouldn't <laughs> tell you much. <laughs> thanks, Thank Beryl. you so much. Pleasure. Okay. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye. David's in Launceston. Morning, David. Morning, Mega. How are it's you? It's cool out here. I bet it is. Whereabouts? What are you out cycling or walking or something? Are you? Oh, no. We're just uh, uh, attending a, an old factory site that's being regenerated into recycling woolen products back into new life. Wow. And it's, it's taking um, woolen blankets, woolen suits, and woolen blazers. Uh, putting them through shredding machines, uh, introducing new fibre to it, and then creating um, new woolen blankets uh, for a host of industries, everything from uh, the disaster industries to uh, top-end blankets, um, throws, rugs, and scarves. Wow. And uh, absolutely unique, Macca, being able to re-establish an industry that left Australia 20 years ago, but trying finding skills of people who can run carding machines, uh, looms, Finishing machines, and that, and um, and what uh, were they just were they just sitting around somewhere, and someone's decided to get back into the recycling business? Yeah, yeah. So a group of Tasmanian investors have got together and looked at the opportunity, and uh, of course, with the COVID slowing the import of uh, product into Australia and factories overseas, it's been really opportune, and um, they built a built some really good products and really good brands around it. Well, that, that's great news. Yeah, it created a whole new employment base and, a, and the employment base of an older generation who had the skills, uh, who are now mentoring the younger generation to learn um, their, their, you know, artisan skills of uh, weaving and um, dyeing, um, carding and all those. But doing it at an, at an industrial scale. Oh, that's fantastic, mate. That's fantastic. Um, and uh, so many things will have to happen, re-happen, I think, because of COVID. It's, it's really good because people would stop and take note. And But I suppose this was happening before COVID struck, was it? It was happening before COVID, but not, it wasn't being adopted and, uh, and successful. COVID's helped it along its way. But more importantly, it's giving, it's giving life back to um, fibre that was still had uh, many decades of life left in it. Uh, and we're not taxing the um, natural resources of uh, our agricultural land. We don't need to grow as much wool if we can recycle it. We don't need to use as much water to feed sheep and irrigate pasture if we can recycle it. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's really, you know, it's a really acceptable practice if we want to be in the sustainable world. And that's in uh, just outside Launceston, is it? Yeah, it's in a little suburb called Waverley. It's called the Waverley Mill. The Waverley Mill. All right, good on you. Nice, yep. to, nice to talk to you, Dave. Thanks for the good news. All best, Matt. See you, mate. Bye. Good morning, Kate Llewellyn. Good morning, Macca. How are you going? I'm very well, thank you. That's good. Tell me about poetry and uh, and and how poets are doing in COVID. You're, Kate, you're, can I say how old you are? Yes. You're 84. That's right. And how are you, uh, how are you coping in Adelaide with uh, COVID and corona? Well, I live alone. I have very good neighbours. And a wonderful son who rings me from Sydney daily, 
and I have a garden and I have a thousand blessings. Bombs are not raining down on me, I say to myself. (laughs) Uh, uh, You, I should say. Yes, and speaking of poetry, Ian, you actually, I realised this morning when I was thinking about what I might say to you, you actually are a poet because what poetry really essentially is, is look is concentrating intensely on the mundane and when you do that this is this is a compliment so don't panic when you do that the thing on which you're concentrating lights up as if you've lit a candle and in that light is the numinous the the mysterious the 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 spiritual that lifts the poem off the page. And that's what you do with your interest, your obsession with daily life, with the mundane. The mundane and the ordinary are glorious and they're the poet's material. And that's why I think you have so many people writing poems in this time because, first of all, it's a lonely time for many people. And also why people find that in prison, almost everyone writes poetry. I had a man come to a class at Sydney University and I said, why have you come? And that's a hard question for some people to answer. And they, he said, because I'm a prison officer and nearly everybody I deal with writes poetry so I need, and they show it to me, so I need to know something about it. Now, that man was a pleasure to teach, and he found out he was a poet too. That's tell, the end of it. Yeah. Now, Kate, tell me this. How are poets faring in this time? I mean, you're, you've got lots of friends, I suppose, who are, what, do you call yourself professional poets? You've been a poet all your life, haven't you, really? No, I haven't. I came late to it, which is very encouraging to some people mm. who say, oh, I'm too old, it's too late. No, it's not. Because the longer you've you've waited not knowing or not having time uh, is, is the better because you have all that experience to draw on, all those memories. And then if you put a memory with the present, you have a poem. I've got one of your poems here, it's, uh, and you sent these to me a little while ago, ladies. And as I said, one of the good things, one things, good things about COVID, is that I've had a chance to review things because I've been home doing stuff, and I and I can't get out and and do outside broadcasts and go and see people. So, and I've had your your letter and your poems, um, and. And I came across this lovely scribbled note, which is lovely, and you said, your show is a healthy thing to those with depression. I'm grateful for it. And here are some Christmas poems. But uh, And this one's called Christmas Poem, What is in the East, by Elizabeth Bishop. You should... What, or, uh, you got, what is in the East, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Bishop? Who is Elizabeth Bishop? Uh, Kate? Elizabeth Bishop is uh, now dead, famous American poet who lived much of her adult life in Chile with her lover who was uh, a, a Chilean Spanish architect uh, and it was a, a rowdy arrangement between the two of them and I think it wore Elizabeth down and she went back to North America and she died of a stroke. She was a colossal smoker and she was a colossal poet and uh, so I wrote the poem for her 
even though she's dead. So that's it. um, Okay, I'm going to recite it for you. Here it is. What is in the East? Hope, that's what. Dawn too, and camels. They always strode from East to West embroidered across my brother's shirts. The washing line lies in the eastern portion of the garden, right behind the shed. Sheets flap there like tents, and in the furthest paddock to the east are all the sheep that the drought has left. The dried-out creek lies in the east, an arid metaphor for a time drained of so much hope, and yet the east exists and cannot be erased. Stars emerge as if on strings, pulled up and down on whim by kings or something else. The fact is there's always something hopeful in the east but only some can see it. And first, they need to look. How good is your... That's a lovely poem, Kate. That's a lovely poem. I I really enjoyed reading that. Um, and uh, do you still write poetry? I know you, you've got a garden and you're out in your garden all the time. Do you still write poetry? I, I do. Mm. A poet never retires mm. any more than a, a singer stops singing even in the shower. Well... I have just had a book of poems published by Wakefield Press, an Adelaide, a very famous Adelaide company. It's called Harbour, and um, I'm writing some more now, uh, and I'm halfway through a book of prose. But the strange thing is I haven't written prose since the virus came, and I get a newsletter from America uh, called Lit Hub, and... uh, it has many things in it uh, from writers who say they are not writing their novels, their novel. And I don't know why that is. I can still write poetry, and I must go back to this because the book is with the publisher and it's unfinished. So the gun is at my head. <laughs> Kate, uh, tell me about your garden quickly. Well, I think gardening is the new poker, really. Uh, <laughs> If you you can't stay inside all all day, and with poker, the air. I've never seen a game of poker except on on film. Yeah. But it looks very unhealthy to me, and you can't feed yourself with poker unless you have an extraordinary gift. And who would want it? Uh, but you can feed yourself from your garden, and I have a small plot with twenty eight trees in it. it there was nothing here when I came except a very large uh, bird of paradise, which my elderly neighbour wanted me to remove. I said, hello, hello, I'm, I'm your new neighbour. She said, are you getting rid of that, that bush out the front? <laughs> oh, and by and, the way, welcome, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dear, oh dear. Exactly. <laughs> I said, well, no, I'm building the garden around it. It's going to be purple and orange to match the, the flowers. Oh, dear. oh, oh dear. Anyway, we became friends. And one day I took her in some eggs, as I often did after I got to know her a bit, or that made me able to know her. And I said, I'm sorry. I see that the, a bush has grown over your your letterbox. I'll take my secateurs to it in a, in a little while. And she said, oh, don't worry. It doesn't bother me. <laughs> I only knew it took a few dozen eggs. It's food for the soul, isn't it, out in the garden? Um, if those lucky enough to have a garden. Uh, a lot of people live in high-rise now and, and probably they like it, but I, I couldn't do without a garden, Kate. Yes. Well, some people can make gardens on a veranda or on a windowsill. 
and going up the wall. My granddaughter, who's in Sweden, has made one, and there's a hard place to garden, has made one indoors. And gardening inside is now all the go, they tell me. Yes. You just need to bring some dirt in in a pot or put a hole in a saucepan and, and plant get. something in the light. Kate, I'll come and see you when we can all travel again in Adelaide and have a look at your garden. We'll have a cup of tea and we'll talk about poetry and... <laughs> and um, other things. Lovely to talk to you, Kate, and Goodbye. I'm sure Australians love, have loved meeting you. Thank you very much, Ian. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.